You can turn in your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 20. I, I believe I can say um, in all honesty that in all the, the years of preaching, I've never sought to be or tried to be an alarmist. I don't ever want to alarm people. I've always uh, tried not to motivate people by fear. You know, and, and much of, of the news today that when you watch it, it creates concern, but it also creates fear. And it seems like people keep watching it because the, well, what's the next step in my fear? But um, I believe what I'm fixing to say. I believe it with all my heart. I believe it so strongly that I would lay my ministry on the line for it. And so you need to listen to what I'm going to tell you. The next three months are the most important three months in my life and in the life of the church in America. These next three months are going to be the defining moment in what happens to us as a country. Marriage has always been, for 5,000 years, ordained by God, created male and female, and joined together as one. It's not a denominational belief. It's not even, quote, a religious belief. It is who God is, and it's what God did. Beginning the 26th tomorrow, the Supreme Court of the United States, nine people, will be hearing the oral arguments about same-sex marriage. And they will come up with a decision that it is illegal. They got two choices. One, the legalization of same-sex marriage is the, the, in the hands of the state, and the state votes whether or not it wants that. And that's the way it should be. We shouldn't have been taking a vote on it. Isn't that ridiculous? Since when did you vote on what God ordained? But nine people are going to decide, well, it's a state decision and each state can vote. And if that's the case, I know what the outcome will be. It'll be defeated in the states. Or they can vote it's a legal right for a man to marry a man and a woman to marry a woman. They'll say it's a legal right. Now, buddy, when you make it a legal right and you oppose it and you don't agree with it and you don't do what they say, there's a collision between government and religious freedom. And when that occurs, the only way the government can enforce religious, enforce their, their legal beliefs is by force. we got maybe three months to pray 
and to ask God to turn it around. And I believe that prayer is going to make the difference. And I have, I have a, God's given me a plan. It's not going to be enough to talk about it. It's not going to be enough to be alarmed about it. It's not going to be a, an, enough to be opposed to it. And by the way, listen to me. It is not about men and women. It's about God. Do you understand that? I don't hate anybody. I hate sin. I hope you do. So it's not about personalities. It's about whether a nation acknowledges what's always been a part of the plan of God. Our nation thumbs its finger, its thumb in the face of God and says, we don't care what you say. And you need to understand, I'd much rather deal with men than deal with God. Three things have been troubling me. And as I've meditated on them and thought about them, um, I just kind of had a feeling that I don't like to have. Well, I just said, Lord, I kind of feel helpless in this situation. First of all, what can I do? What can I do? How can Luke 4.18, this is a big nation. This is a big world. How can we make a difference? Can can we really make a difference in what's going to happen in the next three months? Can we really make a difference? And um, I began. He began to speak to me about that. There's another thing that concerns me. Not only the issue of marriage and the family, and that is the major crisis that we face. And the most major Christ we've faced in the history of the nation and in my life. But then there's a second thing that bothers me. I read about the Holocaust when Hitler killed 7 million Jews. People knew about Auschwitz. They knew the Jews were being herded on uh, trains and taken to a place to die. And I will say this. America got involved, and thousands of young Americans died to stop the wicked, demonic influence of Adolf Hitler in Germany. So I thank God for that. But it seems like maybe, and I know a lot of other parts of the world, but how did the Holocaust happen without there being an outcry somehow? But you know what I'm seeing today? The same thing that happened in the Holocaust stopped happening right now before our eyes. Thousands of Christians have been martyred in the last year. Thousands. There'll be hundreds martyred today. But you know, where's the outcry? You know, I was surprised. I, I don't even know this person, but Jolana somebody, her name, I went, she's an Assyrian. She went before the United Nations. She's an actress. And she said to them, why haven't you done anything about the 1,500 Assyrians that have been martyred? Nobody, you know, I'll tell you something. We ought to take the Supreme Court and flush it, not the Supreme Court, help me, Jesus. We ought to take the United Nations and flush it down the toilet. 
It does no good whatsoever. All they do is talk. And they're supported by American dollars or it wouldn't exist. Why in the United Nations rising up and saying, listen, when they took those 1,400 students over in Nigeria and separated them from the other students and martyred them because they were Christians, why wasn't there an outcry in the world to say this is wrong? It's wrong. It's almost like it's happening right before our eyes, but nobody's willing to pay a price. Nobody's willing to go in. Nobody's willing. Listen, ISIS could be stopped and Boko Haram could be stopped. All the terrorists could be stopped if the people would just unite and go in there and say, enough's enough and wipe them out. You mean you want them to die, Brother Fred? You better believe I do. They're they're murdering children. They're beheading people to put fear in people. They're ungodly and they're demonic. That's what they are. But why, why, why are we just letting it go on and on and on and there's no end to it and nobody's doing anything about it? Oh, we dropped a few bombs. It ain't stopped it. It's made it speed up. That's bugging me. It's on my heart. It's a burden. This issue about same-sex marriage, this issue about the martyrdom of Christians. And I'm going to really get in trouble here, but I'm going to go and get in trouble. And, and that's fine with me. I'm telling you, we're watching before our eyes a broken government. Our government is broken. You see, when it was created, it was the greatest form of government that was ever created. We have the executive branch the legislative branch, and the judicial branch. The executive branch, we know what that is. The legislative branch and the executive branch were supposed to balance each other. They were supposed to hold each other accountable. The executive branch could not operate apart from the House of Representatives and the Senate. The Senate and House of Representatives in the hand of the executive branch was always the right to veto. And then Below it all was the judicial branch, which was to interpret the Constitution and to be sure that government always operated within the Constitution. Right? That's not the way it is anymore. When, when in the election, the Senate and the House, the Republicans got a majority in the House and the Senate, the head of the executive branch, I won't use his name, the head of the executive branch, said, I don't care, I'll work around them. And you know what he's been doing ever since? Executive orders, just maybe 100 or 50 or 200 every week, just going right around the legislative branch, right around the legislative branch, passing laws, making executive orders that just leading us down a road of, of just destruction. I mean, it is. And the judicial branch, can I make a statement? We're living under a judicial tyrant, ty- uh, tyrant, tyranny. Did you know that? Who controls the direction of this country? The courts hold the direction of this company. There are 30 states that have same-sex marriage. Only eight voted for it. The other one said was ordered by the federal court to marry same-sex couples. Thank God Roy Moore had enough courage to say, we're not going to do that. Praise God. So you know why people don't like him? Because he's got courage and he's got convictions. Somebody says, hey, some people say, some, some, 
Some people say he's crazy. Well, praise God, I want to be crazy like that. Because he said, you can't force us. Our Constitution in Alabama says that marriage is between a man and a woman, and no federal court can make us do it. But see, it's judicial tyranny. The courts determine we're not governed by the people anymore. We are governed by the courts. And they threaten us with suits. You you know, I'm telling you, I could get upset about this. But... but (laughs) But it's so wrong. It is so wrong. The greatest nation in the world founded on people who left England because of the oppression of the state church to come to America in order to have religious freedom. This country was founded so that people could be free to worship God the way they should in any way they wanted to. And this nation was great because it was founded on the fact of religious freedom and Uh, the equality of people before God. And and it it, it up until recent years, it it has been the greatest nation in the world. It has been. But Roe versus Wade, that was the first dagger in the heart of a country when we legalized abortion. How do you think God felt? When we said, okay, you can murder a child in the womb. Legalized abortion. Then the next thing we said, well, you know, we don't want to offend people. So we ought to not let people pray in school. I don't care for Muslim praise in school. Lord, over in Muslim countries, they get down on their faces in the middle of the street and worship a false god, Allah. They got more religious freedom in Russia than we got in America. You pray in a, a, a public assembly and you pray in Jesus' name, you in big trouble. You can't pray before a football game in Jesus' name. You, you can't pray in public places. They, they remove the manger scene anytime there's a public square. I mean, all this stuff. Let me ask you a question. What's that all about? i tell you what it's all about. They... They're determined that America become a secularistic, humanistic society. That's what the problem is. And it's wrong. It's ungodly. And I'm telling you, that is not who we were. And under God, that's not who we need to be. But then we say, well, look, Brother Fred, it's bigger than we are. But I want you to listen to me. And this is what I'm going to preach about. It's not bigger than God. Now, you've got to understand that. It is not. What the Lord said to me, it's too big for you, but it's not too big for me. So what do you do? I I was saying to the Lord, Lord, I don't know what to do. He said, well, you ought to know what to do. I gave you a sermon about 10 years ago on what to do when you don't know what to do. So why don't you do it? I said, well, I will. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I want you to look at it. And we're going to do this. This is not just a sermon I'm going to preach. And we're going to walk out of here. And, and, and we're not going to implement it. I'm telling you, we're going to do this. Because I'll tell you, three months from now, if we hadn't done it, it'll be too late. Now you say, Brother Fred, that's alarming. I believe that more than I believe life itself. That we got about a three-month window to save this nation. 
And so, brother, brought God's people. If God's people ever got desperate, and if God's people have ever prayed, friend, I tell you, we cannot be at ease in Zion anymore. All right, we see Jehoshaphat faced an impossible situation. It happened at the month. It happened that. After this, that the people of Moab and the people of Ammon and others with their, besides them came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat had just restored worship in the temple. He had just turned the people back to God, and now the enemy is coming against him. And, so, and, and then it goes on in verse 2, it says, Then came some and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against us from beyond Syria, and they are, uh, are in Tezanamar, which is in Gedi. All right, so here's the word. Jehoshaphat. There's a big army coming against us. We're outnumbered. We ain't got, they were basically saying, we ain't got a chance. All right, now I want you to look down in verse 12. This is the key verse. Jehoshaphat looked at the situation. But then he came up with a great conclusion. Look at 12, verse, verse 12. Oh, God, oh, our God, will you not judge them? We have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. He looked at the Moabites, the Ammonites, the people of Mount Seir, five to one, whatever, it didn't matter. He said, I'm telling you, God, this is bigger than we are. This is bigger than we are. We have no power against this multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do. He said, Lord, I'll be very frank with you. It's too big for me. I don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do, Lord. But then he closed it out by saying, look what he said. Oh, God, will you not judge them? We have no power or might against this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. We're not looking at the multitude, Lord. We're looking at God. We're looking to you, God. But you know, Jehoshaphat didn't know what to do. He started out, and God showed him what to do. Now, all right, here's, here's where I'm at. Oral arguments start tomorrow before the Supreme Court, pro or against same-sex marriage. The time has come for action to be taken on our knees and otherwise for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are being slaughtered because they will not deny Jesus Christ. And it's time that we say, listen, we are not a dictatorship, and we believe in government as it was, legislative, executive, and judicial. And what we're going to have to do is we, we, we're going to have to realize that we've got a multitude there. But we, we, this is what you do. I want you to look at verse 4 now. Now, and see, the problem is, it, gets, it bothers me, is I'm not sure some of you are going to believe this. I had to ask myself. I had to ask myself. And I was talking to a brother on the phone last night, and I, I said, I want you to ask yourself this question. Now, and I'm going to ask you this question, and I know, I, know you, I know how you'd answer it. But I want to ask you, do you really believe what you're going to say? 
Now, do you really believe that? It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to believe it. Look what Jehoshaphat did. And it's the first step in us making a difference in the next three months. It says in verse 4, he knew about the problem and it said, And Jehoshaphat feared and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So the, the, the nation, so Judah gathered together, listen at this, to ask help from the Lord. And from all the Judah, cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Now, here's the question I want to ask you. Do you believe the effectual, fervent, sincere prayer of the people of God can make a difference in the next three months? Do you really, really believe that? It's easy to say. Because you know there's a multitude coming against us. <laughs> but you know, I, I honestly believe that I'm at the place now that I not only believe that believe God can intervene, not only in this same-sex issue, and not only with the martyrs and in our God. I'm not on the place that I believe he can. But I believe if God's people, and we got to start right here. I can't hold anybody else accountable for what they do. But at Luke 4.18, we're accountable for what we do. Did you hear me say amen? amen? We're accountable for what we do, okay? I really believe that God can use us if we'll pray as we've never prayed before. If we'll seek God as we've never sought him before, that I believe God can use us to make a difference. I believe that. Because I'm telling y'all, there's no way you can know what a serious situation we're facing. What I am going to do on about two or three Wednesday nights, not this coming Wednesday, but after that, I'm going to take about seven or eight or ten minutes and show a video by people like James Dobson and others who uh, understand what's going before the Supreme Court. And they're going to share with us all the ramifications of the decision. Because it'll give you a great understanding. It'll give you a great understanding of what at stake. I listened to three or four of them yesterday. It'll give you a great understanding of what at stake. And it will really motivate us to pray and believe God. And we'll do that on Wednesday nights for two or three Wednesday nights. And then we'll pray. We'll just pray. By the way, we'll just have a prayer meeting. You say, well, Brother Fred, you just got to empty about half of your crowd. Well, that's fine with me. If you don't want to pray, don't come. You can announce a music concert and overflow the building. You announce a prayer meeting and empty the building. We like to be entertained. But this ain't the time for entertainment. This is the time to get serious with God. I mean, real serious with God. I'm telling you, it is. God knows it is. Man. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to pray. But anyway, 
Josphat knew he, he couldn't do it. So he, he set his face to seek God. Man, he began to seek God with all his heart. He got the people to begin to seek God. And man, they, were, they, they began. And, and Josh, uh, Jehoshaphat, as he re, was praying, remind, reminded himself of how powerful God is. Hey, folks, let me tell you one thing. God is not dead, and he has not changed. Hey, I like the odds David had against Goliath, don't you? Ten to one, David was dead. But God. And you know, Jehoshaphat, when he got to pray and he said, God, that's a multitude, but you're a great God. Look in verse 5, verse 6. 1 Chronicles 26. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Boy, I love this. Do you not rule over, the, uh, over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might that no one is able to withstand you. Hallelujah. Let me read that again. <laughs> o Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might that no one is able to stand against you? That song we sing, our awesome God, God is an awesome God, is more than a song. And then he goes on and reminds himself of how God's been faithful in the past. Verse 7, are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And he said, you, and then the Israelites, when you gave them that land, they, they knew they had to depend on you. And, and let's look at verse 9. And, and this is our declaration to the Lord. If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence and for your name is in this temple, and we will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear, and you will save. Ooh. They said, God, we, we're going to stand, and we're going to cry out to you, and you will hear, and you will save. So the first thing we can do is we can get serious, I mean real serious, about effectual, fervent, specific, believing prayer in faith, asking God to move the mountains and asking God to do what only God can do. And I want to tell you, if he is the God of the Bible, he is the God of history, and there's been time after time when God's people cried out that God has answered and against great odds. All right, here's the second thing. So we can deliberately set our face to seek the Lord, and we're going to do that. We will do that in the next few weeks. It's going to be the most important thing that we do. And then the next thing that we're going to do is this. In this passage, it says, we have to remember. Not only do we have to set our face to seek God, but we have to remember whose battle it is. 
And, and that's exactly what happened to Jehoshaphat. In the midst of all their praying, an unknown stood up and reminded them of something. And I want you to look at verse 14. And this is what I want to do today. I'm telling you, we got, we got, we got to pray like we've never prayed before, privately and publicly. But secondly, we've got to remember whose battle this is. I mean, th- th- this, this whole thing is not about people. It's about God. <laughs> God, you made a mistake. A man and a woman, that ain't the best way. You made a mistake, God. He said, well, I ain't going to say what he I, No, I'm not going to say that. Anyway, I, I want you to just look what the, the, the Lord said to Jehoshaphat when he said, I don't know what to do. But my eyes are on you in verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazahel, the son of Zechariah, and it goes on and tells us who he is. Verse 15. Now, here, here's an unknown, and he's confronting Jehoshaphat, I mean the king. He said, listen, all you inhabitants. Listen, all you of Judah. Listen, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. Verse 15. Thus saith the Lord to you. Okay, I'm listening. Do not be afraid. All right. Praise God. Nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours. It is said God's. Oh, it's God's battle. So we will invite him to go, go to war. Now, you see, when, 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 we, when victory comes in this, it's going to be so obviously God. Now, now, let me show you how the deck is stacked against us. There are nine justices on the Supreme Court. Two of them have already performed same-sex marriages. You think they're prejudiced? You got to wondering how they're going to vote? There's only nine. But you know what? We only need five. And so what we've got to understand is the battle is the Lord's. And he can turn people's hearts. Oh, God can do that. He can wake them in the night. He can do whatever he has to do. And so we've got to remember that the battle is the Lord's. As we pray, God will fight for us. You know what I love about David when he faced Goliath? In 1 Samuel 17, 47, boy, here's a great, you know what, what, what uh, uh, David said? He said, then this assembly will know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear For the battle is the Lord's, and he's going to give you Goliath into our hands. Hallelujah. God doesn't save by votes or no votes. He saves by his mighty hand. And so when we pray, we'll say, Lord, you fight for us. You fight. You go to war for us, Lord. We're standing for you and for your word and all that you said, and we want to obey you more than man. And so, God, would you fight for us? And he will. Man, I love what Hezekiah said in 2 Chronicles 32, 8. I want you to listen. See, they knew that without God, they were sunk. With him, talking about the king of Assyria, with him is the arm of the flesh. But with us is the Lord our God. Listen, with him is the arm of flesh, but with his us, the Lord our God, to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah. 
They got the armor of the flesh. The Lord is our God and is going to fight our battles. Folks, listen. It is not a battle between with flesh and blood. This is a battle with the devil and the demons of hell. And it is a spiritual battle for the soul of a nation. And the Lord will fight for us. I believe that. I believe that. David said, you got a sword and a spear, but I come in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. We're outnumbered, but the Lord, we know him and he'll fight for us. I love what it says in Ephesians 3.20. Boy, you get this in your heart. When we pray about this situation of the martyrs and the same-sex marriage deal and all that, just get this in your heart. Unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Ephesians 3.20. Unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly of all that we, above all that we could ask or think unto, according to his mighty power that is at work in us. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think by his power that works in us. Hallelujah. One plus God is a majority. Somebody says, Who's God's, whose side's God on? That's not the question. I want to be on his side. And I know what his side is. Man, we've got to set our face to seek the Lord. We have to constantly remind ourselves that this is the Lord's battle. And we are simply vessels and instruments in his hand by which he can accomplish his purpose and we invite him to go to war for us. For example, so we'll have, when we gather to pray, we'll have the name of every Supreme Court justice and we'll, we'll pray for them by name. We'll give you their address so you can write them. By the way, they now have a, uh, a petition, and one of the videos that will show this, called the Defe uh, Defend Defending Marriage Act. And it's a petition that people are signing saying that we believe in the, the biblical pattern of marriage. They're hoping by the, within the next, it's only been going for a few weeks, we're hoping within the next five weeks so we'll have a million signatures to place on the Supreme Court Justice and in this defense of marriage thing, you know what it says? If you pass it, we're not going to obey it. <laughs> well, that's kind of putting it on the line, isn't it? You can pass it if you want to, but we will not obey it. We will not. And we won't. You say, what does that mean? I don't know what it means, and I don't care what it means. So we've just got to. Do what we can, and, and, we, and so we'll pray, and we'll remember the battle is the Lord's. And then, I want you to look at verse uh, 18 and 19. And this shows you how to respond in a, in a difficult time when you don't know what to do. You set your face to seek God. You remember it is God's battle. And then you worship God in the middle of the battle. If you look down in verse 18, 
the uh, Moabites and Ammonites were still coming after Jehoshaphat and, and the people of Judah. Not one Moabite had been killed. Not one enemy had been defeated. It, Judah didn't have any battle plan. They, they were still they just praying and crying out to God. And, and, and so they were still in great danger. Nothing had been settled. So what do they do? They just start worshiping God. Well, I like that. It says, and Jehoshaphat bowed, in verse 18, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Boy, they got together and they prayed. And then somebody stood and said, listen, you stand still, see the salvation of God. The Lord will fight for you. The battle is the Lord's. And then, oh, Jehoshaphat said, okay, it's time to worship God. And man, he got on his face. And all the people of Judah got down on their face. And they worshiped God. Woo! What we're going to do on some Wednesday nights, we're just going to come and have a praise service and thank God the victory's already won. You say, well, Brother Fred, you don't know what the boat. I just say we worship God in the middle of the battle. It's easy to worship God after the enemy's defeated. It's something to worship God while the battle's going on. They worshiped God in the middle of the great battle, knowing they could be destroyed. Oh, what a blessing to worship God in the middle of the battle. Some of you are in the middle of a battle right now for your marriage, for your children. You're in the middle of the battle for a lot of things. But you know what you need to do in the middle of the battle? You just need to worship God. Just praise God. Just get your eyes on Jesus. Worship God in the middle of the battle. And then here's the last thing. It says that God gave them the victory in an unexpected way. Now, you, I look at it, you know, and I say, all right. I'm going to ask the Lord to show me in the next 10 days how we can do something to encourage the families of the martyrs in Assyria and all those countries. How we, I know we can pray for them, and we are, but is there anything we can do? I'm going to find out what we can do in any way to let them know that they're not alone, that their brothers and sisters in Christ in Mobile, Alabama, know about them and care about them and thank God for their courage and their strength. And we want to encourage those that are still living in the Lord. And, and, and we'll do that. And so, uh, and, and we just find out ways. But you remember, the, the, the thing is that God gives the victory in unexpected ways. You never know how God's going to act. You never know the who would have thought that God would have slown or slain or whatever you did. <laughs> it's a good word, slew. I don't even know what word it is, but I'll tell you what, God killed him, De De Goliath. <laughs> who would have believed God would use a shepherd boy with a slingshot to kill a giant? <laughs> Boy, God got the glory, didn't he? He got the glory. And you know how God got the glory over the feet of the Ammonites and Moabites? Brother, he had to love this. Oh, my goodness. Look what happened. They got a choir and started singing. Look down there. <laughs> well, that's the truth. You think I'm kidding you? Look at you. So look at verse 20. I love this. So they rose early in the morning. This is the battle was raging. 
went out into the wilderness of Tekoa, and they went out. Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah. This is verse 20 of Second Chronicles 20. Hear me, O Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. He said, We're going to battle. We're outnumbered. Uh, you know, but I'm telling you, now's the time to believe God. Now's the time to trust God. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, believe God's word, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he, anoint, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. And they went out before the army, saying, Praise the Lord, his mercy endures forever. Now you talk about the worst strategy for battle that has ever been devised, that was it. Get a choir, get them organized, give them a Baptist hymnal, and send them out before the army. Send them out before the army. I'll I, I tell you what, I would have volunteered for the choir. I would have got in the choir. But when he said, you're going before the army, I said, I'm dropping out of the choir. <laughs> because they got the swords, they got the shields, they got the spears. I don't have any of that. But you know, wait a minute. God orchestrated it so that everybody would know it was not by might. Not by power, but by the Spirit of the living God that victory came. And so God, and as they began to sing, the Moabites turned on the Ammonites, and they killed each other. And then uh, the, the ones that were left turned on the people of Mount... No, no, the Moabites and Ammonites turned on the people of Mount Seir and killed all them. Then after they killed all them, they killed each other so that when Jehoshaphat and them got to the place where they were going to have the battle, guess what they found? Look here. It looks down in verse... Um, uh, all right, verse 24. So when they came to a place overlooking the wilderness... They looked toward the multitude, and their dead bodies fallen on the earth, and no one had escaped. Not one spear had been thrown, not one arrow had been shot. They had sang glory and praise to God. They had obeyed God. The Lord fought the battle for them, and when they got there, every one of them was dead, and God had given them the victory. <laughs> I'm not going where I'm thinking. <laughs> I want you to listen to me. If we don't believe that God can make a difference, then we don't really believe God. It's just going to be a matter now. Brother Fed, there's no way. What do you mean there's no way? God's in Washington. Did you know that? God is in the bedroom of that Supreme Court justice. Do you not know that? God knows where every ISIS militant is. God knows where all the Boko Haram is. We, I, we're not talking about us. We're talking about God. And so what we're doing is we're inviting God into the battle. And we admit, dear God, we've been silent too long. We've been silent too long. We've allowed abortion to occur in this nation. We've allowed them to secularize our society and make us a humanistic, secularistic society. Religion has been silent. And while we've been silent, a few militants have just turned our nation in a wrong direction but we realize and we repent but now God we come to you and say we know that our only hope is in the living God that is our only hope and if you think it's in anything else you're wrong if God doesn't intervene we're sunk
But I believe God will intervene. I, I believe that with all my heart. Now, I'm going to pray you're going to get to the place you believe that. And you'll pray like you believe it. And you just won't pray when we come on Sunday. You'll pray you'll wake up in the morning saying, Oh, God, move on the hearts of those nine people. Dear God, don't let us go down that road. God, intervene on behalf of, of the martyrs, Lord. Put a stop to ISIS. I don't care how you do it. Stop them, Lord. Stop them. Anyway, shut them down, Almighty God. You are able. They're killing your children. And God, get our government to the place where somebody has the courage to say that what's going on is wrong. Well, the devil's going to fight it. He don't want us to pray. He don't want us to go to battle. He doesn't want us to go to war. He wants us to be silent. He wants us to just have business as usual. But that's not going to be. Because if we have business as usual, three months from now, there will never be any more business as usual in this country. So what are you going to do? What am I going to do? What is our church going to do? What are we going to do? I guarantee you we're going to do what, everything God tells us to do. We are. Because we know that this is, this is it for us. This is a defining moment for the church of Jesus Christ in this nation. It's a defining moment for us as believers. It is. Because we can stop what's about to happen. God can. If we'll cooperate with him.